Leviticus chapter 27. This is the last sermon in Leviticus. Listen, this may be the last sermon you ever hear in the rest of your life in Leviticus, so let's just savor it together. Um, so two weeks ago in Leviticus 26 was like the natural ending to Leviticus. God essentially was like, hey, if you obey this book, it's going to go well for you. If you don't obey this book, it's going to go really bad for you. Um, and then there's chapter 27. And it's kind of like, God, why is 27 the end? Like 26 felt like it should have been the ending. Um, and so we're going to read it. And you may be a little confused because it's all about vows. And it's all about essentially this. Like if you make a vow to God, like God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. And then God does it you would essentially like have to go pay your vow, right? And a lot of times when you pay your vow, you would, uh, I'm kind of humming, Brandon, I don't know why. Maybe, I don't know, turn it down, whatever. Um, so if you like have to pay your vow, a lot of times you're either offering yourself or your property. So you're like, God, if you do this, I'll offer you 10 goats, right? So you would go give your goats, but you wouldn't actually give your goats. You would essentially like, goats were worth a certain amount of money. So then you would give like that amount of money. So this chapter is basically a long list of the various things you could, it's basically like the price tag on all the things you could turn in for your vow. So that's, it's going to be like kind of random, like, okay, this is interesting. This is the end of Leviticus. Uh, But I just want to give you like, that's what's going on. Um, But there is actually goodness in this chapter. It just takes extra digging. Um, But I just want to give you a quick idea of what's about to happen. So we're going to read Leviticus 27, and then we will get into it. It says this, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, if anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons and the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. Real quick, you're like, wait, what? Women are only half the value? What, what these are based on was like the market value of slaves at the time, which, sorry, one more thing. This wasn't like African slave trade. This was like servants, essentially. So if you were to like work, this is how much you're worth. So that's what's happening here. Uh, Verse five, if the person is from five years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be uh, for a a male, 20 shekels, for a female, 10 shekels. If the person is from a month old to five years old, the valuation shall be for a male, five shekels of silver. For a female, the valuation shall be three shekels of silver. If the person is 60 years old or over, then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels and for a female, 10 shekels. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest and the priest shall value him. The priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. If the vow is an animal that may be offered as an offering to the Lord, all of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he does in fact substitute one animal for the other, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. He's like, you can't vow like a goat and then just give like a bad goat. You, you, if you do that, you actually have to give both goats. And if any, if, if it is, 
any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest. The priest shall value its estimation, it, it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, he shall add a fifth to the valuation. When a man dedicates his house as holy to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed meaning how much crop it would make. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate, calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he, dedicates the, he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price and it shall remain his. But if he does not wish to redeem the field or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But the field when it is released in the Jubilee shall be a holy gift to the Lord like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not part of his possession, then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of Jubilee, and the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of Jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession. Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. 20 geras, whatever that is, shall make a shekel. But a firstborn of animals, which as a first, which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate, whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. If it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything he has, whether man or beast or of his inherited field shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that passes under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between the good or bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. That's God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your presence. Thank you for the gift of your word. God, I thank you that what we just read is, is actually from you, God. This is your word. You breathe this, Lord. And it's sometimes confusing. Sometimes it's like random and we don't get it, but God, we trust that it's still yours and it's worth digging into because this is from God and we don't wanna miss out on what you have 
for us. And so, God, we gather around you not only in worship, as good as that is to sing to you right now, we gather around you as you speak, as you speak through your word. Jesus, we want to be a people who are humble and contrite and tremble at your word. Jesus, we want to be like Mary who just sat at your feet. We want to hear your word. We want to hear you speak to us. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you minister faith and understanding and hope? And above all, God, help us see Jesus more clearly tonight. This is all about Jesus. We worship Jesus. We listen to Jesus. And so come now, God, meet with us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... There's a guy, a man named Louis Zamperini. If you guys know about him, he, uh, the book's called Unbroken. Turned, it was turned into a movie. And uh, he was in a World War II like bomber. And he had like a random job in this giant bomber. Um, it was like 15 people were in a plane. And they're on this like whatever mission to this other island from Hawaii to like, it's a small island that belonged to Japan. And they were shot down over the Pacific and they crashed in the ocean and only three men survived on two life rafts in the middle of the Pacific ocean. This is like whatever the forties. Um, and so they're in these life rafts. And if you know this story, like sharks begin to circle because the little life rafts are like little home for little fish, which become like prey for the next fish, which then sharks. And so literally sharks are like circling and they're batting away sharks stranded in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, They had like a few like survival food and no water. Literally they had no water. So they would just wait for it to rain. And then they would try and collect as much water, drink it. And like they were surviving. They literally broke, they broke their record for survival at sea. Um, But about two weeks into this thing, this journey, uh, they were out of water. And guys, it was day six without water, which you're like, no, but you only live for three days. I, I looked it up and it was like, in some extreme circumstances, you can live nine to 10 days, but like, We don't recommend it, but it's possible. So I was like, okay, he says six days without water. And I'm just going to read you guys uh, a couple paragraphs from this book. This is insane. The water ran out again, and the thirst was agonizing. Day after day passed with no rain. Twice the men rode toward distant squalls, but each time the rain sputtered out just as they reached it, leaving them exhausted and demoralized. When the next squall inched along the horizon, none of them had the strength to chase it. The intense thirst and overheating drove Phil, one of them, to do something almost suicidal. He waited for the sharks to wander a short distance away, then pulled himself overboard. Louis and Mac knelt near him, jabbing at the sharks with the oars as Phil hung on the raft, savoring the cool water and swishing big mouthfuls of it over his tongue before spitting them out. He had only just the strength to drag himself back in. Since Phil had gotten away with it, the other two thought it was worth a try and they took their turns in the water. The men were able to keep the sharks away long enough for all three to have a dip. On the sixth day without water, the men recognized that they weren't going to last much longer. Mac was failing especially quickly. They bowed their heads together as Louis prayed. And Louis wasn't a Christian. As Louis prayed. 
If God would quench their thirst, he vowed, he'd dedicate his life to him. The next day, by divine intervention or the fickle humors of the tropics, the sky broke open and rain poured down. Twice more the water ran out, twice more they prayed, and twice more the rain came. <laughs> Long story short, actually, I won't, I won't tell you what happens. So uh, this chapter, Leviticus 27, is all about vows, vows that people make to God. And in that culture, vows were like very common and very important. Um, often a vow, it was that scenario, like you were in danger, you were in need, you were desperate, like you're running from a bear or something. And you're like, God, if you do this for me, I will do, and then whatever, right? But and it, was, it was a common thing in that culture that listen to this Psalm. In Psalm 66, David says this, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. Um, vows aren't very common anymore. We don't really have like, at that culture, your, your word was, was like held pretty high. We don't really have that. Um, but it, it happens sometimes. Like maybe you guys have had a scenario where like, God, if you just do this for me, maybe you're a kid. You're like, God, if you just do this for me, like all oh, whatever. Um, I've told this story here before, but when Travis and I were doing youth uh, together, there was this kid, he wasn't a Christian. He came in, he was a high schooler and he had gout in his feet. Like what, I don't really know much about gout, but he had gout in his feet and it was really painful. And he was like, dude, can you guys pray for me? And so we're like, okay, we'll pray for you. But then we were like, what will you do if God heals you? I don't know, I don't know why we even asked that, but he was like, oh my gosh, I will become celibate and I will become a missionary for the rest of my life. And we were like, all right, cool. So we prayed, we prayed for him. He comes back next week and he's literally healed you guys. He's healed. He does not have gout in his feet. I, I don't know if I've ever seen a miracle other than like that. God actually healed this kid's feet. Um, and we're like, bro, so, you know, like, are you gonna become like celibate and missionary? And he's like, oh no, you know, like I didn't really mean that. And like he, as, as, as of right now, like he's not walking with the Lord. Hopefully he does eventually become celibate, I guess, and become a missionary. But that's, that's not where he's at right now. Um, in our culture, like we don't really get like the heaviness, the weight of like our word and vowing to God. Like we don't really live in an honor culture like this time where if you're like, yeah, I made a vow, but do you know what? Whatever. You, like most of us wouldn't bat an eye, right? Like, yeah, who keeps a vow? Um, but at that time, for whatever reason, it really mattered. There was this guy, you've probably heard of him too, in the book of Judges named, named Jephthah. And he made this vow. I'm going to read you a couple verses really quick. Uh, this is Judges chapter 11. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. <laughs> if you give the Ammonites into my hands, so he's at battle, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Like what a vow, right? Then Jephthah went to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from these, this, these cities. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home, who should come out to meet him but his daughter dancing to the sound of timbrels? She was, this is the Bible, I'm reading the Bible. She was only, she was his only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. 
when he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. And he kills his daughter. Like that's a true story in the Bible. Now, like if, if I did that, I'll be honest. I'd be like, I'd see my daughter and be like, sorry, God, I'm not honoring this vow. Like, I'm not just going to kill my daughter. But Jephthah, for whatever reason, he, for, for all his foolishness, he feared God enough to like, I'm, I have to honor this vow. God delivered me and I have to. He, he understood in, in Ecclesiastes 5, it says this, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was only a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? So this is like foreign and I'm like, really God? Like you, it matters that much to you that we would keep your word. And I honestly, I'll be honest with you. When I read this chapter, I was like, why do you end Leviticus with vows? And this, do vows really even matter? And I don't remember vows in the New Testament. Like, what, what is this about? Um, so here's what I did. I just dug as deep as I could in the Bible. Like, God, show me what vows are, what they mean, what they don't mean. Um, and, I, and there actually are some really important things. So I'm going to give us five reasons why vows matter to God, okay? Number one, vows made in the Bible... There's like, if you read throughout the Bible, various vows were made. They reveal both God's character and our character, okay? They reveal God's character and our, our character. A vow exposes what you really believe about God, what you think about God's character, and exposes what you, who you are. Do you trust God? Do you have faith that God can do stuff? So here's three vows really quick. Uh, you guys know Jacob. He was, his, God changed his name to Israel. Jacob like just cheated his brother, stole his birthright. He's like escaping, running for his life. His brother wants to kill him and he's running away and he's camping one night. He has this crazy dream from God. And then it says this, Genesis 28. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Like Jacob said that. He's like, okay, God, listen, if you keep me alive and actually if you feed me and I'd like some clothes, then you'll be my God. Um, but listen, this, is, 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 this applies to us. Do you believe God is able to provide for you? Like that's what, that exposes something right there. Do you believe like honestly not like, yeah, I know that's true. Like, do you walk in this truth that like God wants to provide for me? Like, what do you honestly believe about God's character and his heart for you? And then if you're answering honest, what does that say about your character? Um, are you someone who's like, I trust God. I trust God can provide for me. Um, or do you take your worry and your lack, like, and you just go to the place of like anxiety. Like, honestly, where do you go with your worry and with your lack? 
Do you struggle with anxiety or do you, do you take your anxieties to God? Like it, that vow exposed something about Jacob and exposed something about God. Another vow was this woman named Hannah. She had a bummer situation. She was one of two wives, which never works out in the Bible ever. Um, the rival wife, the other wife, was like having all these babies and she couldn't have any babies. And so the rival wife was always like taunting her like, oh, bummer, you can't have any babies. Look at all my babies. And so uh, one day she was, at, she was sacrificing to God and she made a vow. Listen, she said this in 1 Samuel, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Like, honestly, if you think about it, have you ever been there? And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head, side note. Like, and no razor will ever be used. Um, and God gave her a son and his name was Samuel who wrote like the book that that story is in. Samuel was the one who anointed David king. Um, but here's, here's a question. Have you been in Hannah's scenario? Like, and do you believe God is able to intervene like in your situation? Like, do you believe that? Like, do you believe God can like supernaturally actually literally change my life? Like, do you, be, like, do you actually believe God can like literally heal your body? Like, do you believe that? Like, honestly, like, have you ever gone to the Lord? Like, God, will you do this? Like, this vow exposes, like, how big is God to you? And then one more vow, Daniel. Um, you guys know Daniel? He was this J young Jewish boy. Literally, picture this. You're kidnapped. You're brought to another country. And they say, we're going to train you and you're going to serve the king. That's what happened to Daniel. And so they brought him in and they gave him like all this king's food, which most of it was like Jews couldn't eat that food. And him and his friends vowed like, we're not going to eat this food. Um, and we're just going to trust God will make us strong off of vegetables and water. Like no protein. Like we just, we're vowing we will not eat this. Um, so listen, let me ask you. Do you believe God is worthy and holy and so you're willing to vow that you're not going to like participate in things of the world because like God's holy. And, and like, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to vow, I will not do those things. Like, honestly, as, like, do you, have you done that? Like, I'm not participating because of, because of who God is. Um, it's interesting. Vows are never commanded. God never said, hey, you need to vow to me. They're never commanded but they reveal something about someone's character and they reveal what they think about God. So, so point number one, vows reveal someone's character and who, what they think about God. Number two, vows matter because they're made to God, right? Like you're not just like promising your friend, hey, yeah, I'll pay you back. Like we're like, they're to God. And I, at least for me, you guys, and in our culture and whatever, like I think we really get the idea that God is gracious. So yes, God, thank you. But we don't really hold God in this place of like, man, I don't want to like, like make a vow and not honor it to God. Like my own heart is like, it'll be fine. He'll forgive me. But at this, they had this healthy, like 
No, I fear God and I want to obey him. Listen to what Deuteronomy 23 says. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it for the Lord your God will surely require it of you and you will be guilty of sin. Um, I think what helps with this is, have you ever been at like a coffee shop and someone like some stranger is like, hey, can you wash my stuff real quick? I'm going to the bathroom. Have you ever had that scenario? I honestly am that person often. I look around like who's the most trustworthy person. Um, So like, let's say someone asks you and you're like, actually, you realize like, oh my gosh, I'm late for a meeting. Like this is important. And you're like, sorry, person, I'm going to go and not watch your stuff, right? Like, okay, fine. I told him I was going to watch it, but whatever. But let's say uh, you're at a coffee shop and your boss says, hey, I'm going to the bathroom. Can you watch my stuff? You're probably going to have a little more like, oh, I'm late, but like, I'm, this is my boss though, right? The, the higher the value that person is to us, the more we should be willing to like keep our word to them. And, and our willingness, listen, our willingness to keep our word reveals what we actually think about that person. It reveals, do you actually value that person? And if you aren't willing to like, obey God, I think it reveals like where he's at, like in your life, like where he's at in your heart. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. I like, of course, God, but like, it doesn't really matter that much if I obey him, right? Like the willingness that we have to obey reveals where that person is, how much value they have in our life. Number three, similar vows matter because they're an act of worship. Listen to what David said in Psalm 61. I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Like it's worship to like honor your word to God. Um, again, in Psalm 56, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. Um, like our, our life before God in many ways is worship. So like, am I willing to like keep my word and obey God or not? Number four, vows matter. This is a hard one for us. Just because our word matters, at least to God, like he ma- it matters to God if we keep our word or not. Uh, there's, there's actually a lot of power in our words and what we say. And so Jesus and his brother James said this, but above all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Okay, that's hard for us. Like how many of us struggle with being flaky? Like, yeah, I'll be there. Um, like that's just us, right? Um, and listen, as a Christian, if you're following God, like in many ways people look to us like, and, they, and how we like hold our word is in some ways a representation like to God, to them. So like, yeah, Christians, like they don't really keep their word. Like that affects how they think about God. And the last one is this. We are to keep our vows because God keeps his. Isn't that good? I think, I think the reason actually why Leviticus ends with this chapter is, and why it comes after a whole chapter of, it, it comes right after a chapter of God saying, hey, I promise you I will do this. And then he closes and says, so what about like you? Like, will you keep your word to me? Like, I think that's why Leviticus ends with this. God saying, I will keep my word to you. I will be faithful to keep my word. And then he turns it on us and says, will you, will you keep my, your word to me? And listen, just, it's the worst thought, but imagine if God wasn't faithful 
to, to keep his word. You just imagine that. Like we, we can be so flippant with our words, but imagine if God didn't keep his word to us. Listen, there was never a vow or promise that God spoke that he has not kept or is not keeping. God is faithful and keeps his word. Listen to these promises from God to you. Isaiah 54, verse 10, for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. Like God says that. And he keeps that. Deuteronomy 31, 8, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Like God stays with us and doesn't forsake us. Listen to this, Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He's like, no, actually, never mind. I'm not gonna do that. Like God honors that promise. He actually says, if you give me your tithe. Like I'll be faithful and I will bless you. Psalm 23, four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Romans 8, 28. I mean, guys, come on. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Like that's literally God actually keeps that promise for your life. Listen to Psalm 9, verse 9 through 10. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God keeps that promise. If you trust me, I will not forsake you. If you struggle with anxiety and worry, listen to this truth. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Like God will actually give you peace if you trust him and turn to him. Two more, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's never someone who confessed their sin and God's like, oh man, that's, that's too big for me. He is faithful to forgive our sins and he's just to forgive our sins. Do you know why it says he's just? Because Jesus was punished. So it wouldn't be just for him to punish you He says, I'll forgive you. I will cleanse you. And listen to this last promise that God has given us. Revelation 22, verse 12 says, behold, I am coming soon. Oh, isn't that good? Guys, Jesus is actually coming and he's gonna honor that. Like we're not just alone spinning in space in this crazy world. Like Jesus says to you, behold, I am coming soon. God keeps his word to us. God keeps his word to us. And then this chapter, it ends with an, it, like this idea of redemption. So 
we're going to end here. This is how it plays out. So someone would make a vow to God. God would do his part. He would like, okay, he comes through for you. He saves you. Then you're like, okay, now I have to pay what I owed. So let's, a lot of times people would like give God their life. Like, God, I'll give you my life, right? So God, you're like at sea, God, I'll give you my life. He saves you. Thank you, God. So now how, how does the person practically give God their life? And this is what, this is what it meant. When you made a vow to God, you were in a sense like selling yourself or your property or your animal to God. You were like, you were like selling it to him. Um, and you were like, I am now like a slave of God. But how it would play out is everything had its own worth, its value. And so God gives us a chapter to say, I want you to honor your word. And when I fulfill, like when I save you, this is what you have to pay. So if you're a man between 25 and 60, you pay me this much. And so you would go to the temple and you would redeem yourself. You would pay that much and then you fulfilled your vow. If you vowed like your animals, you would see how much they're worth. You would redeem those animals and then you would be free. And so um, a vow is like a bargain of sorts, okay? It's kind of funny. It's like, God, if you come through on your end, I'll come through on my end, right? It's just like a funny bargain that they would make with God. If you do this, I'll pay up. Like that's what it was. And so redemption was this idea of paying what you owe. Now here's the question. Why don't we see vows in the New Testament? This is, this is actually really important. Why don't, why don't we see Christians in a desperate situation making a vow to God? Listen, here it is. Because in Jesus... God does something unprecedented that no one had ever seen before. This is what God does. He says, do you know what? I'm going to come through for you and save you. And guess what? I'm going to pay up. I'm going to pay the price for salvation. Before that, it was God save me. Thank you for saving me. Let me pay you what I owe. In Jesus, God says, how about this deal? I'll save you and I'll pay for it too. Like that's crazy. That doesn't make sense. That's not logical. No one, ha- no one would have come up with that idea. No religion has that idea. Hey, I'll save you and I'll pay for it. That's what God did in Jesus. That's why we don't have vows anymore because God says, I'll save you and I will pay for it. We were like lost at sea in our sin, far from God, radically rebels. And then God says, I'm coming for you and I'm gonna save you and I'm gonna pay for it with the blood of my own son. And you have to receive that as a gift. You have to receive it as a gift. And you guys, this is so important. Christianity, following Jesus, it's not like religion. It's not a religious bargain. Listen, you could never pay God back. You, you can't do it. You can't like pay him back with your life. That's not what you're doing when you're following Jesus. You're not like paying him back, trying to like pay back the debt you owe because you never could have paid it. The Christian life is God saves you and he pays for the whole thing, paid in full. He comes through for you and he pays for you. Like that's radical, you guys. And once, once you are rescued by the blood of Jesus, God doesn't say, so like, hey, pay me back. That's not what he says. What he actually does is say, I'll pay the price and now I'm actually gonna change your heart 
and I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And now you're just going to love me. And you are going to love walking with me and obeying me, not to pay me back, but because you can see how good I am. And you want to walk with me and trust me and obey me. To follow Jesus is, is, is not like, I want to be rescued, so I'm following Jesus. Following Jesus is, I've been rescued. And it's been paid for. And now I love my God. And I love obeying him. And so we don't make vows to God because our relationship with God isn't bargaining anymore. It's just a gift. It's just grace. Hey, look what I have done for you. And did you know that even your, your growth as a Christian, did you know God gets all the credit for that too? Did you know your sanctification and your obedience is God willing you, like he changes your heart so that you love you love obeying him. You love walking with him. And when you say no to temptation or when you worship God or when you obey him, it's actually because God is like in there making you want to do that, making you want to do that. And so when, when Leviticus 27 was talking about, hey, like give this offering, it's dedicated to the Lord. In some sense, once you've been rescued and once Jesus has paid for it, we're like our life now is dedicated to the Lord out of love, but not out of this place of I need to earn God's love anymore. And so, listen, I know the human heart is prone towards the bargain. The human heart, your heart is prone towards, man, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. you many, of, many of us wake up thinking this, if I read my Bible today, if I do a good job, God's gonna be happy with me. And if I don't, dang it, God's bummed at me today. And that's not Christianity, you guys. Jesus paid the price for your sins and he saves you and it's a gift. And now our obedience is this response of love to him. And so I want to say some of you guys don't obey Jesus. Um, but listen, just obeying Jesus isn't necessarily the answer. Some of you guys actually just need a new heart. Like some of you haven't seen the beauty of the gift of God in the blood of Jesus. Some of you guys, listen, it's not just, hey, get your act together, make a bargain with God. It's, you don't even see the beauty yet that he has forgiven you of your sins and he's paid for it. And we really do, we are so prone to like, I need to earn God's love. And Jesus says, nope, I've earned it for you. Receive the gift. And if you've really received it, your life will be different. Not because you're trying to pay him back, because it's just this evidence that like, man, God has saved me and I love him and I love obeying him. Um, I'll actually do a little bit of the end of Louis Zamperini's life. So the irony, if, you, if you've read that book or know the story, the irony of Louis Zamperini, uh, the guy who made the vow in the ocean, is that God upholds the deal and saves him, but Louis doesn't uphold his end of the deal. Okay, like he actually survives he ends up two years in a POW camp, which is like brutal after you just survive like 40 days at sea. Now you're just in prison. Um, but he eventually makes it back to, he grew up in LA and he like floundered. He got married, but he couldn't hold a job. He was an alcoholic. His life was falling apart. Um, he was not upholding his vow to God. And then um, one day his wife was, was like, I heard this crazy preacher was coming through. He set up this tent and I'm going to go. And uh, she goes and she gets saved. And then she's like, you need to come. He's like, I, I'm not going to go. This is ridiculous. He ends up going and it's the, the preacher's Billy Graham. And this is like before it, like Billy Graham was like Billy Graham, right? And he was doing his thing in like this little tent. And Louis was sitting there 
And um, he would go a couple times. He's like, I'm over this. Like, I don't want this. And so uh, Billy Graham would do the, like, okay, everyone close their eyes. And he would do an altar call. And every time you do an altar call, Louis would like sneak out the back and just go home because he's like, no one's looking. So he was doing that. He was like walking down the aisle and um, he's like smells, he, he's like smells rain. And he, ha- like, he has a flashback of when it rained. And he's like, wait, what? And then Billy Graham calls him out and says, nobody's leaving. You're not leaving. In the middle of the altar call, he's like, wait, what? He's like, nobody's leaving today. You're going to stay. And then in that moment, he remembers what God did. And in that moment, God saved him. And God didn't save him because he honored his vow to God. He didn't honor his vow. That's the gospel. We do not pull it off. Jesus pulls it off for us as a gift on our behalf. Jesus saves us and pays for it. It's not do a good job, then you get to go to heaven. Louis did not honor it, his vow to God. And God saved him in the ocean and then he saved him that night. And so the greatest truth, you guys, that we get to worship Jesus for is that though we have not pulled it off, we have not honored our vow, we have not done what we owe, God says, I will be faithful to save sinners who don't deserve it. I love you anyways, and I'll pay the price for you. I'll die for you and save you, and you need to receive it. And so right now we get to worship a God who is just lavishes his love and his grace and mercy and, and pays for it all. Like he just pays for it all. And so I want to ask you guys, like, have you been rescued? And do you obey God because you feel obligated? Or do you obey God because you feel like you're supposed to? Or do you obey God because, man, I am saved and a beloved son or daughter, and I just, I love Jesus, and I, and I want to obey him? Do you obey out of this place of, like, just gratitude and grace, knowing, man, I can't pay this back. I'm not going to try to pay back. I just, I love my God. So... If, if you're in that spot where you're being honest with your heart, like, man, I don't know if, I don't know if I've been rescued. Um, we're just going to spend some time with Jesus right now. And I just want to encourage you to know there's nothing you need to do and there's nothing you need to earn. Um, we all together, all of us, this room is a room full of people who have, did not pull it off. But we've, we've heard the news that God wanted to save us anyways and wanted to pay for it even though we didn't deserve it. And so if that's you, like, just receive that gift. Receive the love of God for you. He's already paid it. You don't have to earn it. And for the rest of us, let's just enjoy uh, Jesus, the, the, the one who rescued us. And, and maybe the last thing I'd say is some of us, I know I'm so prone to this. Maybe some of you are just in this routine of like, man, I just feel obligated and I'm trying to pay Jesus back. Maybe let's, let's repent of that tonight. Let's repent of like, it, it would be like, like a little kid and the, and the dad's like, hey, come hang out with me. You're like, oh, well, like I got to do something first. Like the father's like, stop. Like, I love you. I love you. My love is enough. Just come be with me. Maybe we repent of trying to like go back into this weird earning it thing and, and let's just be with Jesus right now. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that, man, that, that you rescue us and then you pay for it. Thank you that... Christianity and following you isn't this bargain. It's not this deal. You've, you've paid it. You've paid it in full, Lord. And 
you offer us your love and your grace. And now, God, we want to be people who fear and love you because we are loved by you already. Would you free us from trying to earn it, God? Right now, would you just bring your freedom and your spirit and allow us to enjoy your presence as a free gift? Would we repent? Would your spirit convict us of sin? Would um, we get prayer if we need to from the prayer team? Would we just enjoy your presence, the free gift of it, God? I, I even just, I know some of us may like try and muster it up right now. Like I need to muster this. I need to like, I need to make this happen. God, would we know that you are the one who takes initiative? You are the one who pursues Right now, in, in, in Jesus, you've already pursued us. You've already made the way. And would we together just like receive? Would we receive your grace right now? Would we receive your mercy? We're sorry, Lord, for trying to earn it. I'm sorry, God, for not having the heart of a son, but, but often being like a slave, like I gotta pay this. I gotta earn this. Would we receive the free gift of God in Jesus tonight? Help us to worship you and enjoy your presence.